Turn with me to 1 John in chapter 4. We're reading from verse 7. We come to a culminating passage, really, and John has a lot more to say, but he's come back in our reading, we'll read in a few minutes, to the subject of love as a test of authentic Christian experience and profession for at least the third time in his letter. And he's combined it with the idea of rightly believing in the truth of God's word as to who Jesus is. Last week we looked at 1 John 4 verse 1 to 6 and we saw John's emphasis being on the confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. Now he moves to the subject of love again, the expression of self-giving commitment to one another in the church, of caring for one another in tangible ways, of seeking to advance the best interest of one another, even at great cost to ourselves because of our Christian fellowship. Now why would he move from this discussion of faith, our believing in the truth of God's word about who Jesus is, immediately to the issue of love, how they connected. Well, if you look back to chapter 3 and verse 23, you see one way that they're connected, because John summarised the New Testament call of the Christian life this way. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. And it's interesting to see that John summarises the call of Christian life. The call of Christian experience to believing in who Jesus is in accordance with the scripture and loving one another in the bonds of Christian fellowship in accordance with scripture. He does it in 1 John 3, 23 and 1 John 4 up to verse 16 is an elaboration on that. So John has repeatedly in his first letter been concerned to call us to faith not only to call us to trust, not only to call us to belief in who God says Jesus is and what the Bible says about Jesus, in calling us to belief in who Christ claimed to be, but also he's been concerned to call us to a mutual self-giving as Christians, denying ourselves for the sake of one another. Loving one another despite our natural differences and sometimes even sinful differences that have arisen between us as believers. Loving across obstacles and boundaries. John calls us to that constantly. And in the passage before us this afternoon, we'll see that maybe more clearly than anywhere else in his letter. How these things are not only parallel in John's argument, but connected in his argument. Because for John, the idea that you, that you can love without the truth, it's just not there. You can't love without the truth. And the truth is unto our love for one another. And so often a wedge is driven between those two things. Some people say, we need to, I've heard it said many a time, you know, the time for doctrine is past. We need to, we need to stop talking about doctrine and heavy lifting, and just love one another. 
And as far as John is concerned, well, you can't love like God calls us to love if you don't embrace and understand the doctrine of his word. And the doctrine of God's word has not wrought its purpose in your heart until you have a love for God and a love for one another. And a love for your neighbour like he himself has in his own heart and has expressed in the gift of his son and called us to live in his holy word, the scriptures. So for John, inseparably, you can't separate them. Truth and love go hand in hand. They go together and they can never be separated without damaging to one or the other. We'll read God's word, but let's pray before we read God's word. Heavenly Father, we pray this afternoon that by your Holy Spirit, you'd open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and make your word to be fruitful in our hearts and lives. I pray that you'd make us willing, patient, obedient, hearers and doers of your word. By your Holy Spirit, work its truth deep into our hearts, that we would indeed be changed from the inside out, and our lives reflect that change. In Jesus' name, Amen. So 1 John 4 and verse 7, read to verse 16. Beloved, let us want, love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that he might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Well, John is known to us as the apostle of love. And we're reminded over and over of that in this letter. It's a subject John does not move away from. He keeps coming back to it. I may have, I'm sure I've mentioned it at least a few times in the afternoon services that the historians of the past remind us that in the last weeks of John's life, when John, the, the apostle, was too weak to go to the assembly of the saints on the day of the Lord to worship with them, the elders of the church would literally carry him in on a pallet. And at his last meeting with his congregation, he just could only say one thing, Beloved, let us love one another. So his last words were, in that sense to the church, was, Beloved, let us love one another. But I want to say that there's a specific reason why this message of love is on John's heart. It isn't that John was sentimental, but in that there was a specific situation in the Christian church in his day, 
and is a standing situation in the Christian church in all days, which requires this emphasis on God's love and the truth of God for the life of the church. Because in John's day, as has been in history ever since, there's a group of people in the church who thought that they were super-Christians. They were teaching other Christians that the way to be super-duper-Christians was to be introduced to a secret knowledge, which could only be taught by the super-teachers, these super-Christians. And if you were introduced to this secret knowledge, you could live at a higher plane than everyone else. And the result of this particular teaching was that not only that there were people in the church that were embracing things that were untrue, they were denying that Jesus was human and that he came in the flesh when he came to save us from our sins. But there was, a, as a result of this teaching, division in the church. Um, I mean, can you just imagine if somebody had been introduced to this secret teaching that no one else knows, and they've been told, congratulations, you now are a super Christian because you know these things too, but others don't. There's a spirit of pride can come in. There's no such thing as two-tier Christianity. It's reared its head at different times. But there's no such thing as two-tier Christianity. We're sinners saved by grace. But division was happening in the congregation. And it was so bad that people were leaving the church because of it. John has already mentioned that in 1 John 2. So John says that you can see that teaching is wrong by its effect. And its effect had been to divide the body of Christ, to set people against one another. Not to build up, not to encourage, not to edify. So that when a brother learns a new scriptural truth, he says, my brother, I want to share with you this truth of scripture that I've come to learn, so that you might be encouraged and edified. No, the spirit was, I have the truth. And if you go through the necessary initiations, perhaps one day you will know the truth that I know. And that was bringing division to the church. So John wanted to say that real biblical truth, as opposed to false teaching or false prophets, real biblical truth will issue forth in genuine, sincere love. Um, and so far, that very practical reason, John keeps coming back to love. Because it's one way that he can show false teaching. You see, that teaching over there, well, that led to disunity. Not the kind of disunity that occurs when you know, gospel-minded, Bible-believing people fear that on the basis of conscience they must separate themselves from various teaching or from a denomination. That's not the kind of division that John was censoring, but the kind of division that is brought about by people claiming to have a truth which is not revealed in God's Word, or which goes further than God's Word. And the result is division, a fracture in the local church. So John says love is a test of truth. And the fact that this so-called truth, that these false teachers brought division in the church, was an evidence that what they were teaching is not truth, but falsehood. 
So there's a practical reason why John keeps circling back to love. But there's a standing reason why we need this message. And that is because we are still sinners. We wound one another in the church. We let one another down. We offend one another in the church. And we're different. There's, there's, there's nothing more different, if you like, than the church of Jesus Christ. Because the, church, the, the Lord brings together all sorts of people into the Christian community. So we don't naturally have affinity for one another just because we happen to be part of a local church. And there is every manner of challenge in living together in love in the Christian church. It's hard to live together as a family sometimes. It's hard to live together as God's family. And when you live together in a family in close proximity, you leave the top off the toothpaste, you step on one another's toes, you get your each other's nerves, and the closer you are, the deeper the wounds can be, and the more powerful the division. Unless the Spirit of Christ pervades. And we're a family as a church, and we let each other down from time to time. We will offend each other. And John is concerned that the truth would build us up to have a love which overcomes all kinds of things in the body of Christ. But John has talked about loving one another before. In 1 John 2, 8 to 10, John says, look, we love one another. Why? Because God commands us. And he even says, I'm not telling you something new, I'm telling you something really old. And then he says, I'm telling you something new. And he isn't contradicting himself. He's bringing out the very thing that Jesus brought out in the upper room. That is that the new commandment to love one another was not really a new commandment. It had been God's commandment from the beginning. But John was going to show how it was to, how it was to be done in a way that had not been shown before. If you look at John 13, verse 34, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And that, that, that commandment to love one another comes from Leviticus 19. The commandment to one, love one another as I have loved you comes from the cross. So, so Jesus says, this is how I want you to love one another. Because this is like, if you like, that's the old commandment to love one another. What, what Jesus has, if you like, put in is because of his sacrificial love displayed on the cross. I want you to love one another. I want you to be willing to lay down your own life for the sake of the brethren. I want you to, be, to seek the kingdom and its righteousness first. I want you to die to self. I want you to serve the brethren like I have served you. So John points to that in 1 John. He says, this is the motivation for our loving. Jesus is following of that great command to love one another. Jesus giving us that great commandment. John had heard Jesus say, beloved, love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. John had heard that from Jesus, 
and he used this as a motivation in 1 John. And if you go to 1 John 3 and verse 14 and 16, you see that John says that love is also evidence that we are the new creation. That God has done a work in our hearts, that he has given us new life in Christ. And he says because love is the evidence that a person has been born anew, has been a new creation, has been reborn, been regenerated, has been made a new creation, is a new person walking in newness of life in Jesus Christ. Because of that we ought to love one another. So John not only says we ought to love one another because God has commanded it, and Jesus has shown us how to love in accordance with God's commandment. He also says, loving one another is evidence that God has done a work of grace in your heart. And then he comes to 1 John 4, and you see it all the way to verse 16. And he says, we ought to love one another because God is love, and he has shown love in the giving of his Son. In other words, we ought to love one another because of who God is and because of what he has done. So John's argument is we ought to love one another because it is God's commandment. And Jesus has shown us how to keep that commandment. And we ought to love one another because it is an evidence that God has done a work of grace in our hearts. And we ought to love one another because God himself is love and because he has loved us in the giving of his son. So his arguments are building. And this is the biggest argument he has given yet for love. So in verses 7 to 8, because God is the source of all true love, we are to love one another. That's his first argument in this passage. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And his argument is that God himself is the source of real love. When you see people really and truly loving one another as God intended in his word, John is saying, well, God is at work because God is the source of love. And John is making the argument because God is the source of all real and true love, we ought to love one another. John is saying that all true love flows from God. John is not just talking about emotion here. He's not just talking about a feeling. He's not just talking about feeling warm and fuzzy about someone else. He's talking about real, tangible self-commitment to others. I mentioned it this morning, just for your prayers, that I have been, Yutra and I have been doing some, some classes with, with a young couple before they get married. And there's a sense that you need to impress upon young people who are stepping out that love is not always going to be a bed of roses. But there are, you know, but, but there are some things that we commit to one another. There is, the, there is a covenant aspect of love. Biblical love. And sometimes you have a deep commi commitment to a person who you do not have that strong and emotional bond to. If your marriage is strong, you have a stronger emotional bond with your husband and wife than you do with many people that you're called to love in the church. But John is calling us to that kind of self-denial, that self-giving commitment to one another's best interests. That's what he's calling to in love. 
Love is not just a, a feeling, but, but love is a self-giving, self-denying commitment. To look out for one another, to care for one another, to encourage one another, to help one another, to build one another up, to want the very best. And John is saying that kind of love flows from God. John is saying you cannot give yourself away unless God has filled you with his love first. Because he is the source of love. George Benson was a jazz musician who made popular a song that was made popular by Whitney Houston. And it was the greatest love of all. Greatest love of all. And when you first hear that, you, you think as a believer, well, someone has written a great Christian song. The greatest love of all. And, you know, this is going to be about the gift of God in his son, Jesus Christ. And then you hear in the song that the greatest love of all is loving yourself. That's not a Christian song. Because the philosophy is, unless you love yourself, you can't love others. But John's logic is opposite to that. Unless you've been filled with God's love, you can't love others. Because there is no human love on the earth that can fill the void that is in us, that can only be filled with the love of God. I've spoken before, you know, that, 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 that God-shaped hole in our hearts that only God can fill. We try and fill it with all kinds of stuff, but there's, there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And we cannot give ourselves away, even unto death, until we've been filled up to the brim with the love of God. And John is reminding us of it here. So I think sometimes we read this and it sounds theological and it sounds abstract, but actually it's really important because God is the source of love and God is the source of our ability to give ourselves in love. I'm not very good at Latin. My, I'm very thankful to have a wife and children who are much better than me. But it, it, there is a Latin for this as well. And it's ubi caritas et amor Dios ibi est. Now, I probably just butchered that terribly and school teachers are holding their ears right now. But the point being is that when there is love and tender affection, there God is. That, that, that's the Latin. Where there is love and tender affection, there God is. And this is exactly what John is getting to right here. When we see real love at work, we can best believe that God the Holy Spirit is at work as well. And John is suggesting that really, only Christians who put their trust in the Lord Jesus can imitate and reflect the love which comes from God himself. And John is telling us that that real knowledge of God, if we know that God is the source of love, the knowledge of God will lead, lead us to love God, yes, and our neighbour. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And Paul and John are in lockstep together here. John says the truth is for love. Paul says the truth is for love. And that is why in the Christian life, doctrine and experience and practice always go together. Doctrine, which is the believing of the Bible truth. Experience, longing and desires for what God desires for his people. 
and practice, obedience to what God calls us to in his word, they all go together. And John is saying that if you know who God is, and you know that he is the source of all love, then it will show in the way you love. Secondly, John says in verses 9 to 11, that's 7 to 8, 9 to 11, because God has manifested his love in the giving of his own son, we are to love one another. We are to love because God has manifested his love in the giving of Jesus. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He is pointing to the saving action of God in revealing how great the love of God is. And John is telling us that God has shown his love in the sending of Jesus on his mission to give us life. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we've loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John is saying that God's love is manifested not just in God sending his son into the world, but especially in God's son dying of death on the cross on behalf of those who trust in him. And in dying that death, he was the propitiation for us. When Jesus propitiates, he turns away God's wrath. And that is, that is salvation, fellowship with the living God, for God to be our God, for us to be his people. And John is saying that God's love is manifested in that he gave his only son, the blood of his only son, that we might fellowship with him forever. In light of that love, in light of that love, John says we ought to love one another. And the measure of how we are to love one another is how the Father gave the Son. Unlike 1 John 2, the emphasis is on what the Father gave. And John is drawing us and reminding us of how great the Father's love in sending the Son. It is not just Jesus in his self-giving, and yes, Jesus' self-giving love is matchless, but the Father sent the Son, a ruined world to save. And in verse 12, thirdly, he gives a third reason we're to love one another. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Because God's love is made visible in our mutual love, we are to love one another. So John is arguing that God's love is made visible when we love one another the way God calls us to in the Bible. And because God's love is made visible when we love one another in the way that we're called to love one another in the Bible, we're to love one another not only as an encouragement to one another, the building of each other up, but as a witness to the world that God's love is true. And John is saying in, John is saying in verse 12 that the unseen God who manifested himself in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is manifested when you love one another. And that is astounding when you think about it, because John is saying that your love, your practical commitment, your selfless self-giving to one another, is a witness to the watching world of the love of God. It is a visible manifestation of the love of God. That is phenomenal, because Jesus is the visible manifestation of the love of God in the Bible. And John is saying, I want you to understand that when you love one another, as you're called to one, love one another in the Bible, you in your love, your mutual love, 
is a visible picture of the love of God to the world. So, my friends, there is an evangelistic and there's a missionary reason why we don't just grump around in a corner, but we love one another. And there's a reason why, you know, why we set aside barriers, why we work through divisions and barriers in personal relationships in the, in the church, why we put ourselves last and put others first. There's a reason why, why we do these things. There's a reason. Because the world sees the love of God in the way that we relate to one another. So if they always see us, you know, sort of sniping and climbing over one another or backstabbing and things like that, it's not a good witness to the love of God. And this applies to marriages in the Christian church. It applies to divisions which arise in the life of the congregation. And John said it is vital for us to go about loving one another in the church, despite things that could cause division, whether natural or derived from sin, because the quality of our love for one another is a witness to the love of God to the world. Where had John heard that before? Jesus said, by this people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Preach the word, love one another. And he saves the biggest truth for last. Because God is love, we're to love one another, verses 13 to 16. We're to love one another because God himself is love, in verses 7 to 8. He said that beautiful picture that God is the source of love. We ought to love one another. Verses 9 to 11, he said God has manifested in his love in the giving of his Son. We should love one another. In verse 12, because God has made his love visible in our loving one another, we ought to love one another. And verses 13 to 16, because God is love, we ought to love one another. Before we get to that, let me just say one thing. If you look at verses 13 to 15 closely, you will learn a great truth. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the saviour of the world. In verse 14, he's saying the, uh, the apostles preached this. We preached that God sent his Son into the world to be the saviour of the world. And then verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. All those who profess that Jesus is the Son of God sent into the world to save sinners are manifesting the fact that God, the Holy Spirit, has done a work in their hearts and he dwells in them. And he's saying that is why that doctrinal truth, that affirmation that Jesus is the sinless Son of God coming to the world in human flesh to save sinners, that is why that truth is so important. But now he connects it in love, to love in verse 16. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. The reason that truth, that affirmation, that you embrace the fact that God sent his son into the world to save sinners, the reason that truth is so important is that it's the supreme, ultimate picture of love. And you cannot love unless you know that God sent his son into the world to save you. You cannot love like God calls you to love unless you embrace that truth. 
That's why John is so big on doctrine. Because our capacity to love is tied to our understanding the love of God sending his son into the world. To weaken faith is to deaden love. Never let anyone drive a wedge between truth and love. Never let anyone drive a wedge between doctrine and love. Because as far as John is concerned, you can't love unless you know this truth. And this truth will go bad on you unless it creates a heart of love. It's a beautiful picture, but you can't have one without the other. So John says we must love one another. That's a command of God. Because God is love. It's the second time John has said this in the passage. He says it in verse 8, says it again in verse 16. God is love, therefore you love. John is not saying that God is only love. John is not saying that all God does is love. Some people use this verse to argue against God punishing those who do not trust in Christ. That's not what John means. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The implication being that those who do not believe will perish. That is not an unloving thing for God to do to bring justice upon the wicked. Justice is not the opposite of love. You can be loving in the administration of justice. It is not the only thing that God does is love, but God is loving in all that he does. And John is saying here that our love for one another is to reflect the very nature of God. You love one another because that is what God is like. When Moses was talking to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 7, and he's trying to explain to them why God chose them, he starts off with why God did not choose them. He said, God did not choose you because you were the greatest. God did not choose you because you were the most. God chose you because he loved you. Why did God love you? Because God is love. He just loved me. I did not earn it. I did not deserve it. And my friends, it is the feeling of the depth of that love of God that for you, that sets you free to love your brothers and sisters, to give yourselves to one another so that we can truly become a family that reflect the love of God. May the Lord bless the word for his glory. Amen.